0: The following contains plot spoilers and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show.
1: In a world where it's considered de rigueur for superheroes to team up into massive superhero teams, two men decided, you know what, maybe just two will do. This is totally super
0: de rigueur yeah really it's it's a word it's a word
1: it means in fashion
0: oh welcome to totally super my name is justin and my name is arthur and today um today we are uh we weren't going to do it this way um frankly uh the plan was uh to try back when we were going to start this show uh a year ago The plan was to try to do all the Marvel movies in advance of uh, the upcoming um, Avengers Infinity War and then do like a day of.
1: Um, Yeah, that would have worked really well had we actually started this podcast a year ago.
0: And instead we waited and we waited and we waited. So here we are. um, And uh, we are at the time of this recording. We are like four weeks away. Um, By the time this recording airs, we'll be about three weeks away. Uh, three or four weeks away from um, the opening of Avengers Infinity War. And we couldn't not do that on the day it comes out. Like, we really want to make sure. It'll probably be the day after, but it'd be like, we want to make sure that we're there that weekend. We don't want to be talking about it in like, you know, in like three weeks. Um, Yeah. And so that being the case, we decided to do what we're doing now, which is we're going to record for you today the Avengers. Uh, Our next episode will be Avengers Age of Ultron. The episode after that will be a uh, sort of a a pre- Avengers Infinity War, everything that we've heard, everything it could be. I don't know if that's going to be a 20-minute episode or a two-hour episode. I can't tell you Mm -hmm. uh, how that's going to go. Um, But it's going to be fun either way. And then, of course, Avengers Infinity War uh, coming out uh, at the end of April. That's what we're doing. But today, we are doing The Avengers. Yay! Yay! Uh, Have you seen this movie before?
1: (laughs) Have I seen this movie
0: before? Yeah. This is the first time for you, right? Have you heard of this one?
1: Yeah. What a stupid question. Of course I've seen this movie before. Uh, I saw God, this film. Uh, I remember very distinctly there was uh, – when I was working in New York City, I was a, a temp for a legal firm there, and there was an AMC literally across the street. Uh, so I remember it was a couple days after the film had come out. I clocked out at 5.30, and I walked over, across the street and saw, oh, look, there's a 6 o'clock showing of Avengers. So walked right on in. Uh and uh, just sat down, saw it, and was very pleased.
0: Yeah. Uh, my, my experience was sort of different. I like, for me, I, you know, I've seen, I can count on one hand how many movies I've seen by myself in my life um, uh, at theaters. And even at home, I have a hard time watching narrative features by myself. Um, I'll watch documentaries till, you know, till I'm blue in the face. But i like to have somebody there. To narrative watch
1: features. features. That's a good word. I like that. Uh,
0: thank you. Thank you. Um, it's not it's, a television it goes-
1: show. It's a narrative feature.
0: Well, no, no. That would be that would be a narrative television show, a narrative feature, being you know a a, a movie. Um, Oh, right. TV... Oh, feature. You're, you're one of those people who's like, it's not
1: a movie, it's a film.
0: Oh uh, no! Yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's, it's, it's I'm doing. I, I I don't know why I suddenly was doing a Mark Hamill voice. It's, it's, it's so many words. Um. Uh. So uh. So I try to make it a social thing, and I got together with a bunch of friends. And we went to uh, the Rio, um, one of my favorite uh, places to go here in Maryland. Um, and when I went there, I didn't realize how much of a uh, of a line it was going to be. Um, oh. So uh, we ended up getting in uh, to the, I don't think it was pre IMAX being everywhere, but we ended up being in the like, the bottom left-hand row, if I remember, because what they did is they got us. There were two entrances, and they separated us out into two lines. They just took the line, split it in half, separated it out in two lines, and then they led them both in at the same time, but one person let one in line faster than the other line. So the fact that we were at one point twentieth in line didn't matter. Um, so oh, we ended up that... being n- nearly last into the theater, I, and we were in the bottom I can imagine left
1: that, must, that must have not phased you at all.
0: Um, no, I was I was uh, not happy. Um, yeah. uh, we went with uh, and I don't remember if it was the re or not. Now I'm trying to remember. It might have been Manassas. Either way, we were with uh, Mike Sandoval, uh, who um, is a frequent listener and contributor and an amazing actor himself. Um, uh, and a few other people. Um, I think PJ McGaw was there. Um, and we just sat. They're mesmerized by the film, but also with a crick on our neck and the 3D not working all that well. I liked it better the oh, second yeah. time. Through.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, bottom left for the um, 3D. That's gotta. That's gotta be rough.
0: I the thing is about this film. I was super excited about it for a number of reasons. Um, one, uh, I need to be other saying. I don't know that I had ever read an Avengers comic book in my life up to this point. You?
1: Um, no. Avengers. Interestingly, even today with all of the Marvel Unlimited stuff that I'm reading, I. Uh, I haven't really decided to get into the Avengers that much. Um, I, the, the most I experience of them is tangentially when the Avengers come into the individual superhero comic books that I read. Uh, but no i had never aside from their basic makeup i knew very little about the avengers before going into this and, film. and
0: my experience is pretty much the same as well and you would think that that would the avengers would be the thing right i like team books i always read x men i like the team books how awesome would it be to get all the superheroes in one place i mean that was the idea um, of the avengers when it was you know originally conceived um well i think that in- to me the super
1: team normally is not as interesting a thing to read is because by its very nature, you you can't really explore each individual character. Uh, X-Men was an exception to that because they had such a fantastic uh, underlying undercurrent and theme of mutant oppression. So there was some real meat to that. Uh, and I'm sure there were some very good Avengers titles. It's just, I never, I never was that interested in Avengers because it was, like you say, it's, You know, it's Earth's mightiest heroes getting together. It's it's kind of like power gaming. It's it's just not as interesting to me as you know, reading a comic like Daredevil, where it's somebody who's not super powered but is still or you know is not like uber powered and is still trying to to do good. Uh, Which is why I I entered this movie with trepidation, uh, but was very pleased with how it turned out.
0: Well, the Avengers came out first in September 1963, uh, uh, with written by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby. Um, the plot of it is when the uh, of the very first issue is when the Asgardian god Loki seeks revenge against his brother Thor. His machinations, this is from Wikipedia, unwittingly lead teenager Rick Jones, which we'll talk about real quick, to collect Ant Man, the Wasp, Iron Man and Iron Man to help the Thor and the Hulk, whom Loki used as a pawn. And after the group vanquished Loki, Ant-Man stated that the five worked well together and suggested they form a team, and the Wasp named the group Avengers. Um, some of this uh, is very familiar to this movie. Loki, it is about... Yeah, that's Loki. astonishing. Um, the Hulk is used as a pawn um, in this, to a point. Uh, Captain America joins the team in issue four. Um, and that it sort of existed to create to to bring together all these ex, like pre-existing characters. Now, it's worth noting that like the Justice League and the Justice Society and stuff like that, that already existed like over at DC Comics. So, mm-hmm. this was, you know, The Avengers in 63 was very much like what the Avengers film was and that they had created all these comics Marvel had, but Marvel hadn't been around for all that long um uh captain america notwithstanding because he was created, you know, well before um, Marvel existed. So this is like the Marvel the Marvel universe coming together in a team with its, you know, with its its Justice League is th- what this is, just the same way that the the movie is. So I think it's worth noting that that the book itself was sort of a hey, here's all of them together. Um mm-hmm. and I'm surprised at myself for having never read that i guess it's that i didn't care about any of the characters in that book i could have given two poops about thor or ant-man or hulk or iron man or captain america um i didn't care about any mm-hmm. of these people um and that's uh and that's i think the biggest thing my only real connection to the avengers was um there was avengers versus x-men um where back in the 80s you had a certain kind of print on your comic book page that was very much like um like a newspaper but for occasionally you'd get out the and those were like 75 cents an issue um but then you would occasionally get these like two dollar three dollar books where it was like printed on fine paper and the color was really super brilliant it looked more like a like a book um and avengers versus x-men was a four-part series that i read um that was really excellent and it sort of i enjoyed the avengers that way but i really had no did you care pre-marvel uh cinematic universe did you care about iron man the hulk thor ant-man wasp captain america did any of these people mean anything to you
1: captain america definitely did uh why but that was the main one
0: why like like did you read him did you like him or were you just aware of him
1: um, no, I liked him. I I had read some of his comics. Um, Captain America has always been a, a very compelling character to me. Uh, Steve Rogers has always been a very compelling character to me for, well, the obvious reason that he is continually the character who both represents and is aware that he represents the best of this country. And so he is, in his own way, continuously examining What that means. Uh, I always like to say if Superman represents, is meant to represent the best and the ideal of humanity, Captain America is meant to represent the best of America specifically, Uh, which is why, you know, it's so important during the comic arc of Civil War that he came down against uh, superhero registration. Uh, That says something about at least what Marvel. Uh, believes is the best of america uh so i've always been very interested in that and just steve rogers is a compelling character to
0: begin with hmm. um i the only one i guess i could say that i cared about it all was the hulk in that i watched the hulk show um and it, it the you know it's worth noting that the uh that the incredible hulk show uh while very repetitive you know the the whole idea is is banner in that case the show david banner um Goes from uh, town to town uh, where he's just trying to be left alone, but he invariably gets himself into trouble, uh, usually in a barn or some cheap set um, where uh, where he turns into the Hulk, breaks through a couple of walls, throws a couple of guys and then evades the police. Um and that's the show sort of repeated. Um, but there was a pathos to the show that I really enjoyed. Um, when the show was canceled eventually, and oh yeah, in the seriously,
1: who can who can hear the who can hear the tune do 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 do? I know, Do do right? do, 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 do without without just getting a little pang.
0: Um, in the eighties, uh, after the show had been canceled, uh, they did a series of TV movies. Um, and uh, one of the first ones was the Return of the Incredible Hulk, and the Return of the Incredible Hulk featured thor thor was in it um and it's terrible you can you can find it you can find uh youtube clips of it um it's the question bad. is would we want to um uh i didn't watch that one but then the next one was the trial of the incredible hulk where the incredible hulk is put on trial and his lawyer is matt murdoch um and ah. daredevil is absolutely in it and and the daredevil In that uh, show, they didn't have him in a costume. They had him in all black like the first season of Daredevil. So it was um, was pretty neat. Uh, And I really liked that one. Then they had the death of the Incredible Hulk. And it it wasn't awesome. Um, And so that is the one character that I kind of knew. And I knew him from Wolverine. Of course, Wolverine first appeared in the Hulk. um, And then the Hulk would occasionally show up and Wolverine would taunt him. So I was aware of the characters, but I just didn't care. What got me into this? Um, and we'll talk about it when we discuss Iron Man down the road um, is that uh, we had and we talked about it. when We did the sort of the history of superheroes with um, when we did the Dr. Horrible episode uh, was you had the snarky Tony Stark that gave you sort of the the, the feel of the universe. Um, and then Thor was its kind of own thing, which was different. Then you got another Tony Stark, no, another Iron Man, which I didn't love. Um, and then you had Captain America and they had all done. Like, wouldn't you say like very different films from one another? Like it would, it would be easy oh, to say if you didn't know they were connected.
1: Yeah. Well, again, it, that goes back to the thing that uh, you'll all hear me say a lot on this show is that the best superhero films are not superhero films. They're genre films that happen to be about superheroes. Thor was high fantasy. Captain America was a straight up World War II, uh, a World War II film. I mean, the closest one to just being a superhero film probably would have been Iron Man.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's I, I and I, I agree with you. And I think that 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 when and we talked about it, when we did the other episode when uh when Samuel Jackson shows up at the beginning of. Of the first Iron Man you're like what and then you have the Incredible Hulk uh, movie comes out and at the end of that Robert Downey Jr. shows up you're like what then Iron Man 2 comes out and the Black Widow is in it and and then suddenly Coulson is also in Thor and then you know and and Samuel Jackson shows up at the end of it suddenly you realize what they're doing they're putting it all together. And you're like, how can they possibly do this with all these characters? Um, the only great film of all of these has been Iron Man, in my opinion. Captain America was an interesting film, but it's not as good as Captain America films will become. Um, and Thor and the Incredible Hulk were fine, but they weren't super great. So so the idea of can they at least get it as good as Iron Man is the question. And then they bring in this unknown director, this guy, I think his name's Josh Weldon. Have you heard of this guy? Something like that. He does he did some TV. Um, uh, but like evidently that he'd done like like one film before, um, called Serenity. I guess it's it's like some yoga movie. Um, I don't know what any of the no, we're joking, of course. Um, Joss Whedon. Uh you have to understand, um, for those of you coming into this episode coming to the show, not listening to the old pop off uh show, Arthur uh got me into Joss Whedon. Um I uh became a Buffy fan because of Arthur. So much so that I named my children after Buffy characters. Um and then Serenity came out constantly on my top 10. Um were you made more excited I assume by the presence of Joss Whedon in this film and what what was your thought about why they might have cast why they might have used him?
1: Oh, definitely. I was I was thrilled uh that it was going to be Joss because I knew at least the script was going to hang together really really nicely. Uh I don't necessarily know why they chose Joss. Although, actually, no. I take that back because I had read uh, Joss Whedon did a run of the X-Men comics. Uh, he did the the first launch of Astonishing X-Men. and Which is they insanely were, great. <laughs> yeah, which is just really, really good. And it showed that he captured the characters really, really well. Uh, so I think Marvel was smart and wanted somebody who was clearly a comic book fan who got the characters and got the world. And Joss was definitely that. Uh, it may be that Serenity, which didn't do great in the theaters, but received very high critical review, uh, that might have played into it as well. Uh, but no, at the end of the day, going with Joss Whedon was a little bit of a risk because he had certainly never handled anything this big budget
0: before. I think what he had handled before was group dynamic. Um very what you true. needed to do. Um, you were, had all these characters. They're all, you know, like as big a star. Oh, and as, actually it's
1: a, it's important to note that when they went with Joss Whedon, pretty much you don't hire Joss Whedon to direct something unless you acknowledge he's also going to be writing it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that might have been part of it. There was a two-part package deal with that too.
0: Um joss uh in terms of handling group dynamics that you have to understand where the, the situation is, he's coming into yes robert downey jr is the biggest star but robert downey jr wasn't on the, on the on the set of thor chris hemsworth was the star of that movie chris evans was the star of his film um uh the hulk was the star of his film different hulk but fine um uh, he's not only got to manage egos He's not only got to manage uh, uh the big budget stuff, but these are all characters who are bigger and mightier than life. And I dare you to find me someone who has successfully other than Joss managed, well, I let's say a slayer and a watcher and a vampire and another slayer and a former god and a and, and a demon and a, you know what I mean? Like 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 who else has not just managed it, but created one of the best shows of all time in those circumstances. Um, I, I would say
1: that-, that, I honestly, for his group dynamic, I would look much more to Firefly as an example of why he'd be uh, be good for this because it's because he understands it's not about the powers that the superheroes have; it's about the it's about the interesting quirks. Uh, that they bring to the table. I mean, the fact that, uh, you know, the fact that uh, Steve and Tony uh, get into an argument about, you know, where you know they rightly call out Tony's thing of he's never actually really had to sacrifice before. That is Joss really driving into the weaknesses and the foibles of the characters, and uh, and honestly, I felt he did that better in Firefly than he did with Buffy, uh, but. But that's neither
0: here. He did there. it more operatically in Buffy. I would say. I would say that that while he yes he everything you just said is true about what he did handle those things. Um, I don't want to say better because that I, I would say uh, he handled them um, in a more impressive way. I guess because better sort of implies that he didn't do well with Buffy, which he did. Um, but Buffy had, I would say, the the larger, um, like like the grander. Scale of the characters underneath it all, too—the underpinnings of you know, of you could definitely see Illyria and put her right next to Thor. Like, I think you could probably sure. find an aggregate That's for fine. all of these characters within Buffy
1: and um and and Fire. Yeah, League. I'll go with that. Um, and uh, and uh, for those of you listening, if you would like to hear more of uh, our Joss Whedon love fest, you can go back and listen to some of the uh, the last like uh, dozen or so pop off episodes where we go into all of these things in
0: great detail. Like twenty hours about Buffy and Angel and Firefly and Serenity. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, uh, so you get Joss in, um, and and you put out this movie. This is this movie is the make or break thing. This movie fails, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a dud, right? And it's worth noting that while Iron Man did well, Iron Man Two did insanely well. Thor and Captain America did well, but not as well, both critically and and commercially. So the question was. Could this do it? Could you pull it off? Could the Avengers be, let's say, about as good as Iron Man? Um, uh, so, won't you say Thor and Captain
1: America did eh, well? But no, they still did great. By they still brought in. I mean, I remember every the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Perhaps the concept of the crossover might have been approached with more trepidation had Avengers not gone well, but the. The standard of now we are making superhero films and they are going to be successful. That had been firmly entrenched even before Avengers.
0: Sure. No. And I, yeah, of course. Yes. But the shared universe thing, it would be where, where DC is now, but kind of with the whole thing, like the idea that they can carry their own. But if this one was too much, keep in mind, this is the first big jump, right? For as much as Thor is high fantasy, they get him out of Asgard fast and put him in mm-hmm. the real world and 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 they go well what you consider magic it's science and the same thing they do with with you know Captain America he's grounded in the real world and Iron Man's grounded in the real world so in this you got portals and aliens and alien invasions and and you know the Yeah that's a good point this world, is though.
1: definitely the first time that they bring in the galactic element to it which is yeah. huge in the Marvel comics but is understandably uh, handled very sparingly and delicately in the films.
0: Well, a- in the films up to this point, um, it's worth noting that this is like th- That's what makes this the experiment, right? Is that you've you've got you know before Shield was a shadow organization. Yes, but even
1: but even with this though, it's the Avengers fighting aliens on Earth, uh, whereas so much of the comics is the Avengers traveling to different planets, sure. you know, dealing with the Shi'ar and the Kree and all of that. The everything still happens. On Earth. Until Guardians of the Galaxy, we don't really have anybody in space.
0: Are they going to do that every time? Are they going to sing it that way?
1: In space. In space. Yeah.
0: Alright, so what, with all that being said, if you wouldn't mind, um I would like to improvise a plot summary.
1: Alright, just a second. Let me grab my uh let me grab my timer here.
0: Here you go. Ready? And Go, go. All right. Uh, the Tesseract, otherwise known as the plot device, is brought to us from Captain America, the first Avenger. Uh, the problem with the Tesseract is that it is now in the hands of Earth. And the person who has a problem with that is a shadowy figure leading the Shatari army. We don't know who he is, but the character known as the other, played by Alexis Denisoff from Angel, is in charge of the chitauri army and serving this character you can't see who really wants that tesseract so he sends loki floating through space to go get it with a brand new shiny pokey stick uh the loki pokey stick as kevin smith called it um loki shows up on earth and decimates a shield base so nick fury decides it's time to get together a group of people including thor captain america the hulk black widow Um, Who am I missing? Thor, Captain America, the Hulk, Black Widow, Hawkeye. Um, I'm missing a big one. Help me out. Iron Man. Iron Man. That's the guy, Uh, Robert Downey Jr., who comes uh, complete with ACDC. They can't really get to fighting the bad guys because they're really busy fighting each other. The problem is, is that... Tony is really worried that S.H.I.E.L.D. is creating weapons from the Tesseract, and so he reveals that to Steve Rogers, Captain America, who has a real problem with the fact that he's done that. They start arguing. Loki is manipulating everybody. It gets the Hulk mad. The Hulk breaks the helicarrier. They're all split up, but then they all get back together. Problem is, is that after they get back together, poor Coulson is killed, or is he, by Loki, and Loki escapes. Hawkeye, who had been bad, is now good, but the he's leading the... Chitari invasion of new york and so they all have to go the six of them alone have to go and try and save new york they're relatively successful until the council the special council the world security council decides to nuke new york which is hard to say next to each other. Um, They decide to nuke New York, and the nuclear weapon is coming toward New York. Tony Stark has to stop it, and he brings it up into the portal where the Chitauri are coming through and kills the mothership, and all the Chitauri drop like battle droids from Star Wars Episode One, and they eat shawarma. The end.
1: All right, so that came in at uh, two minutes, 16 seconds, not too shabby. I missed a lot. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You, yeah, I was going to say, God help anybody who has not seen the film and is trying to get a sense of the plot from it. But uh, but I think you hit a lot of the major points there. Uh, yeah, if also, I want to really love the boil fact it that down,
0: he, there's external stuff, and the Avengers argue a lot. And that's yeah, the film. I, uh,
1: yeah, I uh, I love that you discovered a new tongue twister uh, in that, I mean, Unique New York is considered yes. one of the difficult tongue twisters in the canon. And Unique New York is actually Duke pretty new fun, York. too.
0: You nuke, you new unique New York is really hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so we we start with our opening, um, and the cold open of the film is is a shot of the tesseract. The tesseract. It, what, are, what can the humans do but burn? I love Alexis Denisof. Can I just say the fact that Joss took Wesley and covered him up in all that makeup to have him i will get you and cause you more than pain is awesome the fact that it's alexis denisov makes me so unbelievably happy wesley from buffy um uh good to see him here but yes we start with a cold open where bas- basically they give you kind of a star Wars-y, here's the plot of the film beforehand which uh, which they had not done but i think that they're just showing that they're getting right into it yes
1: Yes, I think so. They uh the it was interesting that I remember being I guess not surprised, but uh when Loki showed up, and I was like, "Oh. Okay, I guess Loki is the villain of this film because I hadn't actually really thought that. Far. I very specifically did not really do any kind of I, I know you love reading a bunch of stuff before a film. For me, I love I going in completely free, in the but dark. Yeah. yeah, uh I'm so i'm
0: halfway i get really upset if major plot points are revealed to me um i very famously uh got really mad because i get all hyped i get into the hype the hype is part of the fun and i remember before star wars episode two came out uh hayden christensen went on jay leno um and jay leno brought out the toy of anakin skywalker and they're playing with it and they're like "Ha, i'm a toy now ha and the arm falls off of the toy and and Hayden Christian goes no 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 it's meant to do that, I was like son of a bitch I'm like really <laughs> really yeah um so yes yeah, so uh so we have the the big opening so when Loki shows up you're surprised uh, what do you think of that opening fight like thing because it's it's kind of brutal I was uh, I recently showed this to my to my soon to be seven year old and uh and his friends are all into it and i remembered lasers and aliens so this opening brutal gunshot you know to the face like i was i was very surprised by the brutality of this opening scene uh, after having not seen it for a couple of years
1: mm yeah i I'd, I'd agree with that i also this is uh let's just get it right out of the way is a huge shout out to what tom hiddleston does with loki uh once again proving the old uh the old saw that uh the Jaguar commercials locked onto, which is that Brits make the best villains. Don't necessarily I would know agree why. With that. Maybe it's the maybe it's the accent. Maybe it's the style of their training. But oh my gosh, English actors make the best villains. Uh, and Tom Hiddleston is Marvel's amazing had a villain problem in
0: in general. Marvel's villains have not been awesome traditionally. Yeah, Loki uh, is. Been-
1: Loki is now that you mention it. Loki is one of the few Marvel characters that, to me, is as compelling as somebody like the Joker or even Lex Luthor.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that it's it's Loki um, followed very closely by you say you say Brits make the best villains, but then I go yeah, but Michael Keaton and Spider Man is also I haven't ridicu- ridiculously scary. <laughs> He's a really good villain. Um, yeah, but after those two, I think is a big jump down um like killmonger in in black panther but like it's really it's a step down after i mean loki loki's top top of all of it um and it's mm-hmm. a it's a different loki than we're seeing i think in, from thor i think that he's you know he is more super villain now we in thor he was scheming you weren't sure what he was doing and this one he's yeah, like well he seems particularly Thor was suited to jobs <laughs>
1: Thor was both about how Thor becomes a superhero and also about how Loki really decides to commit to being a supervillain.
0: Yeah, no, that's, I would, I would say that that's fair. The first thing I noticed watching it is that this is a Joss Whedon script. Um, You know, so, so the minute that, that, uh, that you have Sam Jackson coming out and he says things like, until the time the world ends, I intend to act as if it's going to keep spinning. Or when they go. The, all we have coming is harmless gamma radiation. Gamma radiation. And Samuel L. Jackson is like, that could be harmful. Like, I can imme- I can immediately get the syntax and the and the rhythm of a Joss Whedon script, which is very particular. I can sense it yeah. from moment one that this is this is going to be Joss all the way. So fail or succeed, this is a Joss Whedon movie. Um, mm-hmm. Which is good uh, because Joss Whedon sense? does not.
1: Because up until this point. Joss Whedon had not had a very fortunate track record when it came to what studio films would do with his scripts.
0: True. Um, with the exception so of you Toy get Story. The, you get that, yeah. Well, yeah, of course, uh, you get this opening, um, this opening section, and then uh, and then we start cutting away to all the things happening with all the different heroes. We get the introduction of the Hulk. Um, who's been out hiding, and this is the first time we get to see Mark Ruffalo uh stepping in for Ed Edward Norton. Um, Ed Norton versus Mark Ruffalo, your thoughts. Go. Um, I preferred Mark Ruffalo
1: just he brings a little bit more sympathy and pathos to it. Uh I like the more mild mannered Bruce Banner uh The more mild-mannered and, uh, I guess, sort of full of heart Bruce Banner is, the more I like it. Uh, So, yeah, I prefer Mark Ruffalo. Uh, And I Uh, I loved this, this, the scene of collecting Hulk. Um, So, what we need to do, so, you know, from a storytelling perspective, what you need to do, especially for those who aren't aware of the Hulk, is you need to show... Just how much of an unstoppable force of nature he is. I mean, the Hulk, even in the comics, is on a level, uh, is on a level even above the rest of the Avengers in terms of actual power. Uh, in the Planet Hulk saga, when or the World War Hulk saga, where Hulk basically goes to war against the entire planet, every superhero is terrified, uh, So you need to show that amount of power. Now, you could do that with, uh, you know, having him Hulk out, but you don't want to do that uh, too early in the film. So I thought uh, they did something brilliant with this. So you have Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, who in the first scene, it appears that she's being tortured uh, when, in fact, she's just using it as an interrogation thing. And she is so... Yeah, and the, it's and it's important to note she scene. is so blas that she is so blasé about it. Nothing phases her, Teflon coated, which is awesome to watch. Then she goes when, when she gets to on the phone with, up,
0: with with Coulson, and she's like, "I'm working."
1: Yeah, like, it's great. It's just, then she goes amazing. to pick up. Then she goes to pick up Bruce Banner, and there is, you know, and so she goes in still completely unfazed, cool, just speaking about things, and one moment where Bruce Banner suddenly slams his hand down on the table um, and shouts at her and the sudden look of absolute terror on her face says volumes. The fact that you have this uh, this woman who has just very coolly handled an incredibly dangerous situation without even breaking a sweat, all it takes is one moment of supposed anger from Bruce Banner and it takes all she has to keep it together. That it's good noting the sells, performance. That sells how the, terrifying uh the Hulk is.
0: And that's Mark Ruffalo. I'll give it all to him. Um the fact that like we say the sympathy when he loses it and he yells like that, I'm I'm scared. I mean, I he he sells me on the rage he sells me on the humor when he when he then turns right around and goes i'm sorry that was mean i just wanted to see what you yeah. do it's amazing but like the moment yeah. before now let's also he's... give. i mean
1: props to scarlett johansson too because that's a that is a to be able to show uh an exterior of trying of keeping it together while inside you know panicking and terror that's not the easiest thing to do either
0: well, and let's keep in mind we'd only seen her in Iron Man 2, and she was something different in that movie. Her point in that movie was to be sexy and to be cool. So mm-hmm. now that they've now that they've done that and they've established that, now she's like, okay, now we're gonna give you dimension and we're not that's yeah, not, this is a that's film only, that actually that, That's get, not makes what Josh does with women. Yeah. Um and and so so what they turned that into um in this is, is remarkable. Um Then we meet Stark and Stark, you know, Pepper Potts is there and Coulson is there and they're having, you know, it's all very jossy um, conversation. It's a fun interaction. I like getting to know Phil. It's weird now. You know, I've I've watched most of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point. Um, And seeing Coulson back here, you know, it's worth noting that he has been a a minor character um, throughout. Yeah, Coulson,
1: I think, has strangely grown on. Uh, Colson has strangely grown on every person who's watched all the previous films without realizing that – like, we've grown to like him a lot without realizing it because he's always just been that – and I think a lot of that uh, goes to uh, Clark Gregg, too, is that he's just so pleasant and charming. Colson is just such a likable guy, uh, even in the other films. And uh you know, and Joss really takes that and pushes it further. suddenly he's got backstory where he's engaged to a cellist uh
0: he's you know, got the whole cr- thing trading of him... cards
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, the trading cards moment it the trading card moment humanizes him, and actually in that moment, we are Phil Colson. Suddenly, we realize here's this guy who's working at Shield, but essentially, Colson is like if either of us suddenly had a chance to work on a Star Wars film like. To even be, you know, the assistant to the director's assistant at a Star Wars film. Like, we wouldn't be the movers and shakers, but there would be this sense of, oh my God, I'm working on a Star Wars film. Oh my God, there's Mark Hamill. There's, you know, it, and suddenly just like this sense of being surrounded by people who we'd grown up uh, looking up to. Uh, that is Colson. Uh, and it's all revealed in his uh, in his geek fanboy moment with, Uh, steve rogers
0: um speaking of steve rogers we'll uh touch real quick on the portrayal of captain america on this in this film compared to what we've seen before um i like cap in this film i think cap is uh is the most poorly served by this film um of everyone i feel like the that the you know He's from the he's he's from the past and he'll comment about how he's from the past and he'll have a a little side mission finding about out about Hydra and his conflict with Tony will be relatively interesting. But he's only interesting kind of in that role. Um, I am I never quite buy his arc more than anyone else's arc. His arc is the least interesting to me, which is. Which was concerning to me, and that you know when they were going to have another movie after this, and they're like Captain America: The Winter Soldier. I was like, yeah, he's the most boring part of the Avengers, Um, and maybe it's just because he's out. You know, you know, he's outclassed by the by the people he's with. He's not that essential in the battle. He like he what he does in the battle is not even as.
1: I I fully I disagree with that. I see what you're going for for that, Um, but Captain America in this film he runs into. It's, to a certain degree, it's the Superman problem. Batman will always be more interesting than Superman. And the attempts to make Superman as interesting by giving him all these dark, you know, flaws or things like that actually kind of ruin the character. Uh, Captain America is the closest Marvel has come to a hero who is supposed to represent an ideal. Now, by that very, you know, by that... That is his strength. That is also the weakness of the character in that you don't have as much room to work with in terms of like deep character flaws or uh, or things like that. What this film does show, and I think what the battle shows very clearly at the end is Cap is the one who is right to lead the team. Uh, the way that he, su- it, as the battle begins, the way he suddenly turns, and it's not just that he's got good technical knowledge, but... You know, he, when Cap gives orders, you just want to follow. Um, And it is also incredibly important to note that, yes, in terms of the overall outcome of the battle, uh, Iron Man, Hulk, uh, even Black Widow are more crucial. Uh, Yeah, I'd say Hawkeye would be at about the same level. Like he, it was, uh, I'll get into the battle a bit later, but essentially the fact that Cap's main thing is protecting the citizens That is really important, especially when uh, a couple years later you've got Superman Man of Steel coming out uh, where the film ends with a city being decimated and nobody cares, including Superman. Cap is a, a crucial humanizing element to the team. The fact that in the midst, so, and honestly, I think it's what made the ending Uh, the final battle really work for me. Because not only are we fighting off all of these bad guys, which, you know, and they're cool bad guys, but at the end, I've seen that before. You've got this other element of we're fighting off bad guys and we're trying to protect the little guy. Uh, That's... It is subtle. Uh, I mean, he's not, on the surface, he is not nearly as interesting as good old snarky Tony Stark. But... Uh, I feel like this film served him quite
0: well. I mean, I guess maybe I and it's hard for me to go back in time and think what I thought then Um, post Winter Soldier Winter Soldier is took because I I still I didn't feel like the the first cap film worked all that well. And I didn't I don't see I
1: actually uh, I actually preferred the first film to Winter Soldier.
0: Really, that's real. Well, I, I can't wait to talk about Captain America then, because because mm-hmm. I Winter Soldier is is may still be my favorite uh, Marvel film, um, with Thor Ragnarok possibly now supplanting it. Um, but mm-hmm. that being said, we are also introduced to Thor, um, funny Thor. Uh Thor had chances to be funny, I guess, in the Thor movie, but I feel like this. I mean, his hair is better in this. His beard is not is is not like like colored blonde. His eyebrows are not colored blonde. Um he's a little more rugged, well, he's a little funnier. I feel like I'm getting The thing that
1: makes the thing that makes Thor funnier is he doesn't he's not funny on his own. He is uh it is specifically when he's being his I am an Asgardian god sort of thing compared to regular people. That's when yeah. that's when a lot of the opportunities for comedy come in, which is why in the fr- like his funniest in the first film is when in, in Thor is when he's just sitting in the cafe with Jane and he drinks something and enjoys it, smashes yeah. the glass and says, "You know, bring me another." And because in this film he's surrounded by more humans, uh, you know, many of whom are at his power level, then you can get. Uh, I agree. Yeah, he he has more opportunities to be
0: funny in this. You are all so petty and tiny. It's just. It's wonderful. It's really wonderful. Um, uh, and then we also get uh, um, Clint Barton, uh, Hawkeye, who is poor Hawkeye. Uh, he, is, he gets to be evil. And then he has a, a one scene to recover. And then he's shooting arrows a bunch. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's safe to say that Hawkeye is, is not given everything that maybe Jim, Jeremy Renner would have wanted him to do and be in this film um Hawkeye it's is worth,
1: Hawkeye is pretty close to being just straight up utilitarian in this film
0: yeah um which which makes what happens in Avengers Age of Ultron and we'll talk about it so awesome because Hawkeye yeah in that movie quickly becomes one of my favorite Avengers <laughs> um oh absolutely uh, uh but he is uh he's he's just sort of there and then we got you know of course Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury um and and note to Marvel note to Marvel um Nick Fury's still alive in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the fact that I have not seen him in any Avengers promotional material for the new one, get him back, pay him whatever you need to pay him. He is, He's just a joy. Every time he's on screen, he's a joy. Samuel L. Jackson knows this role. And it's worth noting that you know he has been a side character who shows up for a scene here or there in all the other movies. Here's where he gets to be Nick Fury. You know what I mean? He gets mm-hmm. to be that uh, he gets to have great lines you yeah. know the navigation is out does the sun still rise in the west yes sir put it on the left you know like, like it's yeah like so i mean so
1: and, and it's actually that's okay so i love that kind of quote there um however that kind of nick fury i have up until recently never really seen in the comics. The Nick Fury was usually a little bit more straight-laced. Well, until Ultimate Nick Fury, which they specifically modeled after Samuel L. Jackson. Don't get me which wrong. Which they modeled after I Samuel L. Jackson Samuel. before. I love Samuel did. L. Jackson. Go on.
0: Well, it's, wor- it's worth noting that the Ultimate comics came out before any of the movies. That yeah, they modeled yeah. that Nick Fury after Sam Jackson. They were making the movies. They were like, well, I guess we just got to get Sam Jackson now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Samuel L. Jackson, I loved the character in this. It was not, it was hard to see Nick Fury behind Samuel L. Jackson sometimes. Like, it wasn't, and to be fair, we don't, Samuel L. Jackson is not one of those actors that we want to watch transform himself on film. It's He's not a Gary Oldman. Uh we, when Samuel L. Jackson is in the film, w- we want to see Samuel L. Jackson. And Joss made that really work in this film. Like, he's a great Nick Fury. Uh, but it really is. It's oh, it's Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury.
0: I'd say 50-50 with you. I think that Joss gives Fury some chances to settle down. I think because there are rather, let me, let me rephrase. There are two Sam Jacksons, right? There's, there's Jules from from Pulp Fiction and he gets a chance to mm-hmm. do that here and then there's Mace yeah. Windu who the, the the calm wise Sam Jackson mm-hmm. and he gets to do that here too um, and I like Nick Fury I do like when he gets your your typical yelling uh, Sam Jackson thing but you know lines like lost my one good eye like you're just like yeah like that's like he, he brings gravitas to his calm lines that that I love as well You know, the you know, are you here Mm -hmm. with a mission for me, sir? I am. Like I just, I, I. There's something about the way, and and these are comic book characters, and and to be able to bring, you know, you can't just bring realism; you must bring gravitas to these to these characters. And Nick Fury, in the comics, even is gravitas personified. That's That's true. He definitely.
1: I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, you can rely on him for
0: gravitas. Um. So we get to the first. Real set piece of the movie where Loki has to uh, Loki has to um, basically invade a museum. Um, You got some brutal stuff. You have uh, a big battle. But right before the battle, there's a great moment where he basically states what he's out to do, which is that he truly believes. And I believe that he believes that um, he would be a benevolent dictator on this world. That he believes that, yeah, you got to kill some people. You got to break some eggs to make an omelet. But once it's done, everyone is going to be happier just serving me because because and he states it a few times, free will is is messy. And it's interesting that Joss is writing this because this is also the uh, this is also basically the thesis of the end of season four of Angel Um. The idea that free will gets us into all sorts of trouble. Free will makes us all unhappy, and it makes us hurt each other, and it makes us greedy, and it makes us do all these things. Free will is a pain in the butt, and as Luke Loki says, is not this better um, to serve one I think you, you one, were, of the
1: thi- one of the reasons for that is Loki, it's not that he believes free will is bad. It's that... He believes free will is bad for humans. Humans are not evolved enough to be trusted with free will. Because obviously he wants him him himself to have free will. Sure. Uh so it's yes, I mean definitely there is the on the one hand, yes, Loki is bringing up these things of oh, is not free, you know, is not this uh, you know, essentially asking is not servitude better. Um it is not an actual examination of the question though it is very very clear in the delivery you know loki is the villain this is not a good uh you know and you know and the concept that free will is bad that is a wrong concept that's that's never even brought into question in this film the end of season four we're not meant to they actually yeah in the end of season four angel they actually did Get a little bit of the gray area in there. It's just like, well, everybody's happy, so, um, so it really it's more with this one. It just it just sort of highlights Loki as a villain. But you're right; it does essentially show where he's coming from. Uh, but I think, I think it's... I think that there's he, a,
0: I think there's an he, argument. He to sees be made. his
1: relationship to he sees his relationship to humanity the way that you know we see our relationship to dogs. You know, I. Love my dog. Uh, But there is a... It seems to be uh, that the best relationship when you have a pet is humans are... And it feels just really weird even saying this. uh, But it's sort of like there is a master-servant relationship in that. And in that instance, uh, with the human-dog relationship, in that instance, that seems to actually be the best situation For all parties involved. Uh, And that's what Loki is trying to set up here. Is he genuinely believes. Oh no. The humans will be better off as servants. But that's because they are so far
0: below me. Well and that's the thing. Loki's ego cannot be denied. But it's worth noting that there are. A few lines. There are a few moments throughout the film. That you realize Loki. Loki is not Palpatine. Alright Palpatine. You know, when he says we shall have peace in episode three, he doesn't give a crap Mm -hmm. about peace. He doesn't care. Um, Yeah. He serves the dark side. And the one thing that Palpatine wants is to make it so the dark side rules. And that's all Palpatine wants to have happen. Everything else is in service to that. Um, When Loki says, you know, I come with glad tidings. You know, he doesn't need to say that. He doesn't need to. He could just go. He could show up and go. I'm big and badass and better than you. And and you're going to serve me now. But he wants He's almost like Gold Ducat from DS9 from a certain point of view. <laughs> he wants... You know what I realized? Understand-
1: now that you... Now that you mention it, Loki's arc over the course of all of these films, and especially in this one, Loki is driven to prove that he is a better successor to Odin than Thor would be.
0: Oh, in yeah. Fact, I mean, Loki is stated.
1: driven to prove... Loki is driven to prove that he would make a better ruler than Odin was. So much of Loki is we see that kid who grew up in his father's and his brother's shadow and is desperately, well, insecure about it and really just wants to prove to the world that, you know, he's worthy in and of himself.
0: Well, and later in the movie, there's a point where Thor points out the devastation to Loki. And for a moment, Loki's kind of like, oh, man, like this is, you know, I didn't expect it to be yeah. quite this bad. Um, yeah. I so so the I bring up the scene because there is my favorite line in the whole movie where um <clears throat> where where a man stands up clearly a man's supposed to be a holocaust survivor um mm-hmm. and 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 says to says to Loki I will not bow to men like you and Loki says there are no men like me and the man repeats mm-hmm. there are always men like you oh so um, good
1: such a great moment
0: like a movie like a movie called The Avengers should not have a mo- a mo- moment yeah, like that. Yeah that
1: that is a that is a much deeper moment than than anyone was expecting, and to be that is a much deeper moment than we've gotten from any film before this. The closest that, uh, I mean, honestly, I feel like the closest that we've gotten to it was in Captain America, where uh, you know where the doctor says, you know, everyone forgets that the first country the Nazis invaded was their own.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's that is, and and I think this is an echo of Cap- and it's it's no surprise that Captain America shows up at that point. Um, yeah. So so Cap so so Cap meets uh, Iron Man there. They capture Loki. Um, they're on the Quinjet, and who should show up but Thor, who kidnaps Loki, followed by Iron Man. Captain America comes at the end, but we finally get what we've kind of wanted. I mean, is is this not what we want? I mean, to to a point. Like, like, I when understand. We were kids, Here's my thing.
1: I, I, it's not, I'll be honest, for me, and this is totally just me, watching the superheroes fight each other is never what I want. I, oh, it's always
0: what I want. Far, you watch it all day.
1: Yeah. I, and that's the thing. I, I far prefer watching them working together as a team. Now, I like them, uh, I like it when they have arguments about the best way to cooperate. But, and this is just i this ties into something uh that i believe about just storytelling in general there as everyone keeps spouting the sense that oh drama spawns from conflict and yes that is true but the number of times i have seen shows or films Take these characters that I have grown to love and grown to love the dynamic that they have, and say, "Okay, now we need to turn them against each other because that's where we're really going to get the best drama from." Uh, I, I don't like it. Part of it is because it's like you had a great dynamic. I was enjoying the dynamic, and now you've just twisted it. Uh, so now I don't enjoy it first as much time anymore. Around,
0: though, like, so you, so you just watched it now after you know, in a world that is post. Many Avengers films and Civil War and Batman v Superman. Let me t- t- let Justice me
1: tell you speci- Let me tell you specifically how I felt in the theater, which is I was sure. watching the Iron Man Thor conflict, and I was thinking, oh, you know, it was you know I'm watching the stuff go back and forth. I wasn't looking forward to seeing them fight. Once they were fighting, I was looking forward to the moment where they realize they're on the same side and work together. Um, Interesting. And maybe that's a well and. Again, I could be getting way too deep here, but when we make the exciting thing all about, oh, watch what happens when we have the good guys fight each other, what does that say about what we think of human nature and about what the best of us is? Uh, it, to me, it is far more compelling and, and far better for my soul to watch good people trying to work in cooperation and navigating the difficulties and challenges that come with this, than to watch good people uh, in total outright conflict with each other. Now, that's not to say that that doesn't happen in real life. So much of the conflict that we have in real life is good people uh, is good people in conflict with each other. And I feel there are films in which that is important to be explored. I don't necessarily feel like a superhero film, which is about you know these mythic good guy characters and is meant to show up. You know, superhero films are always sort of meant to inspire us to be better than ourselves. I don't feel like a superhero film is always the best place to show that.
0: All right. So my counterpoint to your argument is this. Joss Whedon had before him an interesting, uh, an interesting set of goals um, that he had to do. Uh, He wanted to write a Joss Whedon movie, which is always about heart and interaction and conflict um and drama um he wanted to make it real he needed to create a sequel to all of the movies that that had come before and also create a world where they could spin off to other movies and many things uh, upon it. but one thing that he had to do um is he had to satisfy you know 11 year old me and what 11 year old me did was always who would win in a fight it was always the question for me and it was you know who would win in a fight, Han Solo and Captain Kirk? Now, of course, they'd fight on the same side, but who would win in a fight between Han Solo and Captain Kirk? I drew a, a comic book called Z Strike, and we had a, you know our villains in Z Strike. But every cover of Z Strike was one member of Z Strike fighting another member of Z Strike. Um, uh, it was you know interesting. It, is, it, it it is it is one of the you you say a comic book movie is not one of those things, and I would say it's one of the biggest comic book tropes ever is that is that the splash page where the one hero is fighting the other hero i mean that's kind that's 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 huge i can take like thing after thing after thing this person versus this person avengers versus x-men you know X- and, and i mean where there's, okay like, that
1: that i'll agree with that no you're you're absolutely right it is a comic book trope it shows up in the comics a lot it i won't lie and again this is just me it always just kind of makes me sad
0: Oh, you see, no. For me, it's it's you know what it is for me. It's about and and these scenes are about this. I think because there are no real dramatic stakes between Iron Man and Thor at this point. It's it's Iron Man is mocking Thor. You know, does mother doth mother know that you wear with her drapes? You know, like it's it's not. This is not Batman v Superman, right? This is not. Do you bleed? Oh, will make no, you bleed I know and the stakes die are yeah. and hurt. And our conflict has gotten to the point where I must try to kill you. This is just like. You're mashing your action figures together is what you're doing. This is just go pew, 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 pew. That's all this is. This is a pew, pew, pew. And it's, it's. It, I feel like this scene um, and also the scene on the helicarrier with, with Hulk and Thor are the perfect lengths. Um, um, as a matter of fact, I would say your hero and hero conflict throughout uh, the Marvel movies is generally um, joyous. Believe it or not. Like, it's when you get to Civil War, there's a massive hero and hero conflict uh, fight, and it's fun. It's it's more fun. Now, than I will I be. will now, grant
1: you that the civil yeah the civil war hero hero fight was a lot more enjoy. You know again you've just heard me you know spout my my manifesto against how much I don't like hero hero conflict. Yeah that battle at the airport was fantastic. We'll get to it that. It just feels like they're sparring.
0: It doesn't feel like anyone's trying to kill anybody else. And this film it doesn't feel like anyone's trying to kill anybody else. Film, yes. like kill
1: anybody else. No um, I'll, I'll completely agree with that.
0: So I'm I mean, don't get me wrong.
1: Your, with, I enj- don't get me wrong. I enjoyed watching this fight. I thought it was brilliant. There was snark going back and forth. It was funny. Um, it was fun. Uh, but it was just when you said, "Do you?" Wasn't this the moment you were totally looking forward to? My answer is, "Well, no. This isn't the moment I was looking forward to. It's still a fun yeah, moment no, for, for me. It's is, the splash." Yeah. And, and again, when, when this Thor, isn't Thor, why I bought work- the ticket.
0: We'll get to we'll get we'll get to Thor and and Hulk later. But like that is a splash page cover. And the the idea is 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 this is again. Joss has a lot of things, a lot of boxes to check off. And the the, the Iron Man versus Thor that's a that's a check that's got to go off. And I think he pulls it off really well. This is why I'm in the movie. I enjoy. I could watch. I I with Civil War, I get a movie of all this, and I and I love it. Um. So uh. So they resolve their conflict. You know. I think it's worth noting. Um. I've had watch this movie. I I am. I'm an Avengers evangelist and, th- and I think it's interesting to start with this movie because I have shown this movie to people who've never seen comic book movies and who've never seen the other movies and they sort of get the other characters. I do like a little three minute debrief on who everybody is at the beginning and mm-hmm. then everyone's usually fine with this movie and then they can branch off and watch others if they so choose. Um, so I watched this movie with a bunch of people. People have a problem with Thor's hammer hitting the shield and everyone being fine. Um that's vibranium folks that's what vibranium does that's the whole that's vibranium is not the same as adamantium in the comics Vi, adamantium is unbreakable vibranium reflects is mostly unbreakable but reflects the energy of whoever's hitting it back on them so so mm-hmm. essentially the 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 hammer would not ever stop a cap shield it would bounce off a of cap shield that's what it does so it's I'm, I'm yeah. down with it. So they all go on to uh, they all go into the helicarrier. By the way, let's back up real quick. What do you think of the helicarrier? Helicarrier was cool. I mean, it wasn't it like it's, it's interesting because I just watched this with um, like I said, I just watched this with uh, my upcoming seven year old. It was his favorite part of the whole film was the helicarrier. He thought it was the coolest. It, did, it
1: always the helicarrier always reminds me of as a kid growing up the uh, the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier because yeah. There was like one kid in my neighborhood who had that toy, and it was you could, you know, six year old me could sleep on the deck of that aircraft carrier. Uh, so that's that's what it always reminds me of. Yeah.
0: I, I had just taken, um, uh, my kids to, uh, to an aircraft carrier in New York, um, just like a couple months ago. And then, um, and then they've been watching Superhero Squad, which if you get a chance to watch Superhero Squad, it's basically the Avengers, but for like four-year-olds. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cool. remarkably funny, the show. Um, but they're on the helicarrier. So he knew that one existed, but he didn't get that this was going to be that. So they're on an aircraft carrier, and he goes, oh, like the one in New York. And then it starts ta- like taking off, and he literally starts bouncing on the couch. <gasps> it's, 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 the, it's the helicarrier. It's the helicarrier um so (laughs) awesome it's like it's the scene will always mean that for me now because i'll always see like that's the coolest thing i've ever seen (laughs) um they uh they go on the helicarrier uh um they talk a lot again we talked about how steve is is nervous about the hydro weapons are you do you care Mm -hmm. about this shields doing hydro weapon stuff um uh subplot, or do you feel like they are really leaning into World building for Captain America, Winter Soldier, because now that I've seen Winter Soldier and I know what phase two is, I am mm-hmm. I am I feel very much like, I think oh, there is.
1: Yes, I think there is some world. But you're, you're right. Um, I remember uh, a friend of mine after watching it, after watching this film, and I kind of agree, said, oh, this film was great. This film was about 10 to 15 minutes too long. And I think a lot of the stuff on the helicarrier is what I would pull out of it. Um, now, again, not that those moments were bad. It's just that it was it, – it just interrupted the flow a little bit. Uh, I do love all of the, you know, the arguments between, uh, you know, between Tony Stark and uh, Captain America. I mean, arguably, uh, this is – I love the fact that they have the argument where Steve points out you've never actually made the truly difficult call of, you know, of sacrifice. Um, and even in the moment when Tony is just – Tony essentially says, well, I'm too smart to ever have to do that. Uh, that then feeds into, of course, you know, the decision Tony makes at the end where he take, flies the nuclear missile through the portal fully convinced he's not coming back. Uh, it it elevates Tony to a new level, character-wise. It shows character growth from that. Um, I'd say, actually, now that I think of it, I'd say Tony of all of the of all the characters is pro- Tony, probably followed by Bruce Banner, is the character who has the most personal growth throughout this film.
0: I'd agree with that, and I think it's that's deliberate. I mean, he's your star, right? He's in the front. He's in the front of the poster. Right. He's the one that you give it mm-hmm. to. And it's worth noting for, for yeah. everybody who's like, oh, he just delivers the snark. I will say this. I got the sense that um that Robert Downey Jr. was chafing a little bit against Joss Whedon's lines. Joss Whedon writes his lines very particularly. And Robert mm-hmm. Downey Jr. likes to likes to improvise. And I get this sense, you know, if you look at Iron Man 2. My problem with Iron Man Two is the entire movie looks and feels improvised. It's it's slap it's slap shot. I don't I don't. It's one of my least favorites because it just feels like everyone's having such a good time and it's like watching a bunch of people joke around with each other. Um, and it's mm-hmm. just not it, it. Like I I get the sense when when Downey is delivering Whedon's lines, he wants to do his Downey thing, and he's having to deliver the lines. Um. And so sometimes Which is funny because Downey
1: because Downey style and Whedon's style is so similar to begin with.
0: Sure, yeah. Except that it, it's 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 in its delivery it is. But Whedon's style is I write the words and you say them, and Downey yep. style is the words are suggestions. And and you know the mm-hmm. what where it comes out though is um you know we forget that Downey you've can just do elucid-
1: Yeah, you've just I I agree with that completely. And I think we've suddenly seen why Robert Downey Jr. has never done an Aaron Sorkin film.
0: Yeah. um, Where where Downey shines and you realize is that, you know, it's easy to forget that Downey is a great dramatic actor Um, Mm -hmm. that he, you know, he didn't, you know, the, the Academy did not recognize him for. You know, being able to, you know, for his character in The Pickup Artist, right? Like, this guy was chaplain. This guy can do great stuff. So when he turns around and the snark turns off and he gets in in, in his face and goes, everything special about you came out of a bottle. Like, the mm-hmm. the underpinnings of, of, of what he's doing there is, like, suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, this guy can bring it in ways that yeah. very few other actors out there can when he's asked to. Um hmm and and uh oh, certainly when we get to Iron Man three which is not my favorite is it's my Iron Man 3 is my favorite Downey performance um well I not agree with that when I loved the, Iron Man three yeah
1: there were there were um, massive holes in Iron Man 3 but I loved how much of Iron Man 3 was much more about Tony Stark than it was about Iron Man
0: yeah um well the and the honest trailer the, the honest trailer calls it regular man um yeah uh, <laughs> yes,
1: exactly and that's what I loved about it
0: um uh, so going
1: with that let's since we're still on the helicarrier uh let's talk about the the scene between Natasha and Loki uh cuz that is a crucial scene not just plot wise but uh to a certain extent um it's also kind of what as a Joss Whedon fan I was looking forward to it's just like oh, here's the moment where he's going to take the strong feminine character and pit her against like the big bad. And let's see how this plays out. Uh, what were your thoughts about that scene?
0: Well, I had to look up what muling quim means. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, yeah, I, I imagine have the C word, Go on. imagine the C word, but worse um, and more ancient. It's what the, it is now, it is what the C word was like, let's say 15 years ago i feel like the c word gets thrown around now pretty easily um but 15 years ago you did not say that word um you you travel uh, in
1: some way different circles than i do my friend
0: um uh the 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 use of that word was problematic for fans of whedon um uh the the misogyny um of the scene it was you know when he i agree because because Loki is not a, a character who is who thinks that women are less than men. He thinks that humans are less than him. But when he gets to her, you know, he uses the misogynist term when he says before and not before he kills you in every way you fear. You know that there's there's a rapey vibe to the st- stuff that he's saying, um, and I don't think that he needed that. I I um, would agree be- with that. The it wasn't even
1: so much the. I mean Loki using misogyny as a tactic against Natasha that I was okay with um it was actually just the word choice of Mule and Quim because because the lines had already established everything that uh that Whedon was or that that the scene needed it wasn't so much like it was a step too far that also wasn't necessary
0: yeah i guess the one whedon assumed and rightly so that none of us knew what a mewling quim was um mm-hmm. when we were watching the movie it's not a term that anybody used i i I, um, I knew but of course you knew but you're you you know, you. I yeah. mean, you've been, you've been, you've been, you've been, you've been writing for for Ren Fairs and performing Shakespeare for as long as I know you. So, like, like these are words that, that the these older classical, you know, almost mm-hmm. you know Chaucerian words are Chaucerian. Are words.
1: Very nice. Very nice.
0: You're you're welcome. Um, uh, I have a very sweet looking Canterbury Tale. Um, uh, they are they are words that you. Uh, that the general audience wouldn't know, but we can assume mm-hmm. that Natasha would know. And you know, whenever he says it, he said the worst thing you can say to her. And that's the point. Yeah. It's meant to be the moment where he has said the worst thing and that pushes her to break, which she of course, has not actually broken, which fools him um, and fools yeah. us, the audience, into thinking it happens. Um, I ultimately feel like like he was hitting on the right stuff. Um, about her being a murderer, he did actually affect her. Um, which yeah. is, I like the layer of that. You find out that actually, no, what he was trying to do, he did do. Um, she didn't let him know. Yeah, he I love that. It. It.
1: This. You're absolutely right. This scene made me totally love Natasha as a character because what it was, was her literally taking the hit, actually getting affected by it, and still, you know, and accepting that, but still being able to use it tactically in order to benefit her team. Um it showed uh it showed both cunning and I think it showed a lot more strength than if the words bounced off of her and if it and if the the whole thing had just been a total ploy.
0: Yeah, when you find out later when she when when she's saying that Loki actually heard her, you know, that mm-hmm. that you know, I, I think that's effective. Ultimately, maybe the scene is very successful because you said what the scene did is it made you love Natasha. Okay. Oh yeah. No. The, the here's the do? thing.
1: My feeling that the scene was tremendously successful, except for two really unnecessary words.
0: Yeah. Um, Everything else about the worth, scene, I loved. I think it's worth noting, um, and we've talked about it. We don't want to beat a dead horse that we've already talked about. Joss Whedon has come into question with his role as a feminist, uh, because of the Avengers films, because of other things that have happened. Um and there, you know, certainly we get to Avengers Age of Ultron when he damsels um uh Black Widow is is problematic. Um but I think that he's he's doing a good job in this in this regard. And I think that you can you can forgive the words because they're words that are, you know they are not as bothersome to to modern audiences as they would otherwise be you know if he if you use oh modern yeah the words, to those words
1: the words were a misstep they weren't yeah. a they weren't a betrayal
0: um so we get so so we we get the the ultimate conflict uh hawkeye attacks the thing uh the the helicarrier is going down and we finally get the emergence of the hulk and i like that the first time we see the hulk it's a horror movie hulk it's you know yes. like the Hulk is dangerous. It's hidden. Um, and... Yeah, and and chasing her, and she's in real danger. That as he's turning and she's stuck, and she's telling the other guys to run away when he's chasing after her. That how terrified she is by what happens. Um, I I forgot this scene. It's interesting. I forgot the scene was coming, and then I would say that while the action of the scene is not as joyous, with the exception of Thor versus Hulk, um, mm-hmm. uh, I I would say that this is. Uh, the tensest scene in the movie, and I am, I am riveted through this. With the exception of all of the repairing, that with, basically with every, even the repairings, Okay, everything that Captain America does in the scene seems like they got to give him something to do. And I, I, hate when I get that sense when I'm watching something like, okay, well this is the thing. Oh, that, it's, I, it's,
1: it's, I disagree. I loved, I loved watching Cap in this scene. Um, really, yeah, it's so interesting I because I yeah. felt like
0: he had a few good lines. I mean, I do love the line. It seems to run on some form of electricity. Is a great. Great line, but I felt very much every time they cut to Cap, it felt like cutting to Finn in The Last Jedi, which was you got to give him something to do because otherwise it's really all he's doing is trying to throw a switch while Hydra guys are jumping on.
1: Well, yeah, but again, it's the when compared to and it's the interesting thing. So here's the thing with Captain America being in the Avengers. Uh, There is a uh, there's a a story term uh, in that you've got heroes and that you've got white hats and heroes are like the uber power, like protagonist stuff. And then the white hats are frequently like the supporting team. Uh, Xander in Buffy, the perfect example of a white hat. Uh, The, and so normally, you know, and the, the dynamic between heroes and white hats has always been a, a great element of superhero stuff. Like um, every, every hero needs his gang of human supporters, uh, you know, of regular uh, normal people supporters to relate to, to, uh, to ground them, and sometimes to, uh, to do things that the hero uh, uh, themselves couldn't do. Compared to the power that Thor uh, and the Hulk and Iron Man bring to the team, Captain America is a white hat. And so to me, what is so fascinating about it is, okay, so yes, how do you plug that in, not just in making him a uh, a useful member of the team, but also literally the team leader? Uh, the fact that Captain America is by far not the most powerful member of the Avengers and yet is still their leader is to me something very interesting. Yeah, but uh, he's not leading in and- the scene. In this scene... No, like, he's not leading in this leading scene. At, but, but I guess like, what I'm saying is... So he's, he's playing a white hat role in this scene. But I like that. I love the fact that Joss Whedon, uh, who's had experience with this, I love in the final battle, he legitimately had something useful and important for every character to do. Uh, the fact that Hawkeye wasn't just shooting uh, Chitauri out of the sky with arrows, he was also providing a tactical overview that the rest of the team relied on. Captain America in this, he is fixing things to keep the helicarrier afloat. Now you could have just removed that entirely, but I don't feel like the, I
0: don't feel like the action lost anything for adding it. Um, well, but here, yeah, I mean, that's... wouldn't you say though, I mean, you've said this before to me, if you can remove it entirely, then it, it in a movie that's 10 minutes too long, um, you know, I, Look, there are things I and I don't want to I don't want to harp on this one particular aspect, like if he had had a shield and did done some cool shield things, if he had been if he had been the one who was leading it, if he was the one who was jumping into the command role, um, ultimately what he was doing is something that anybody could have kind of done um and it didn't feel but you know whatever it's the rest of it's awesome Hulk versus Thor is awesome the the trying to keep it up is awesome it I think that we cut to Tony trying to fix the thing maybe one too many times um uh Coulson's you know death and it was a death at the time that it happened was heart-wrenching um you know the and yeah and let's we talk get about to that. that point pardon
1: Let's talk. Let's let's talk about Coulson's death. That's a kind of crucial moment in the, not just in the uh, not just in the film, but in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This and, is the and first... and it's
0: and it's and it's Joss's thing, right? It's the thing that Joss does. Um, mm-hmm. For those of you yeah. who haven't listened to the Pop-Up podcast, the way Joss kills his characters is there are two ways you can kill characters, right? You can have them suffer and die, or or be heroic when they're going down, and then you then the flames erupt around them, or you can have them murdered in a terrible way. The way Joss does it. Is someone's mid sentence, and then, and you lose them. Um, Mm -hmm. That's the that's what Joss does so well. He does it here. It is, um, is it a turning point, or is it just a turning point because they, spoiler alert, resurrect him for Agents of Shield?
1: Uh, What kind of turning point do you mean?
0: Well, when you say it's a major moment in this Marvel Cinematic Universe, is it in that it's in what way is it a major moment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? In that this they is the first the real. Who... This is the first.
1: This is the first death of a major character that, or I, I mean, and he wasn't even major character, but I, like this is the first. This is the first death with weight that I. Can yeah, I guess think you could of. say this is the first um, death
0: of someone that you felt was safe. Like yes, not get yeah. Rid of this, that is guy. Fir- this is the
1: first. This is the first. This is the first time the bubble is broken. Uh, yeah. And that is especially difficult to do now that I think of it, because in retrospect, we really should have seen it coming. Because Joss always kills somebody, and you know by design, when he is directing a superhero film about characters that are in comics, he cannot kill who he would normally kill. Like the thing about any of these superhero films is just like we know that the bubble around Thor and Iron Man, uh, that bubble is impenetrable. Because well, it was of... it, it was
0: impenetrable. Let me well, when we get to the thing in a couple of weeks when we're talking about Infinity War, you know it's interesting that my and we'll talk yes. about yes no that's there, a, my
1: yeah I mean Infinity War all bets are off but up but at yeah, this cause... point where we're still at the end of Phase One like that bubble's impenetrable except for Coulson who does not need to be in any of the comics or does not necessarily a major character so of course he was the one that they were going to kill. Yeah. Um, but I felt like it was done very well. He had a great heroic death and I know we touched on this in pop off, but I've got to bring it up again. The, I learned as a writer, um, I loved Coulson's death and I learned a lot from the restraint that Joss had when writing Coulson's last line. Uh, when Coulson says, you know, it's all right, they just needed someone to dot, dot, dot. Now, yeah. It it is the the essential core thing from that is they just needed someone to avenge. Boom, suddenly that is the heart of the film that is that is just this deep core moment. And had I um up at, up to this point as a writer in some of my, you know, in some of my stories or something like that, I have written lines like, it's alright, they just needed someone to avenge. Where as I'm writing it, I'm just I'm thinking to myself, oh, boom, yeah, that's, that's going to be the gut punch, that's going to be the real hit because that ties into the title and all these things, that's all brilliant. What I had never thought to do, or what I'd never thought was to realize, if Coulson had actually said the word avenge, it would have been too much. But by showing the restraint and having him saying they just needed someone to, it gives the, you know, it relies on the intelligence of the audience, which in a superhero film is a risk, uh, or it's it's not something that superhero films have really done that much before. You normally try to play to the lowest common denominator, or at least what the studio thinks is the lowest common denominator. Uh, it's by showing just that measure of subtlety and restraint, but still making it extremely clear what he was going to say. Uh, I felt it really brought the brought the point home in a in a really great way
0: i have nothing to argue with you about there that is brilliantly stated i agree i agree with 100 percent of what you just said um <laughs>
1: yeah, i endorse this uh, statement
0: surprise surprise that can happen um so we uh we you know we find out the only i mean we get everybody sort of dealing with it and everybody sort of you know you know picking themselves up by their by their bootstraps the one interesting thing we find out is that you know they they you know fury presents them with the bloody captain america cards it pushes them they go and they're off to avenge colson then you find out that the cards were actually taken out of the locker and dipped in blood and put in there by fury fury again that is textbook i love
1: that 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 is textbook nick fury
0: yeah um and then you get it, man. Now now it happens. Now the the nameless, faceless CGI characters invade New York in a, in, yeah. in a sequence so successful that films will try and do it from this point forward and we'll all get sick of it. Um, yeah. Uh, the, this, the this was the, you made, asked
1: me what I was look, waiting for. This was the moment I was waiting for. Um, yeah. um,
0: and it's awesome. The, Let's just I, say it's awesome. I,
1: I have to say the so uh, you know me I am even when watching films that I really enjoy uh, I I'm sort of reserved. my enjoyment and love is frequently internal uh, the you know external uh, exclamations of uh, of excitement that that is the purview of my wife uh, which is why it is so much fun to watch movies with her. Because I love watching her reactions to them. But that is not what I do. Um, That being said, uh, so acknowledging that I am not that external reactor. That moment when, uh, you know, so first Bruce Banner rides up in the motorcycle. They have that little conversation there. And then as Banner's walking away, he says, you know, I, you know, you want to know my secret to controlling my anger or whatever he says. I'm always angry. Which is it's a great Joss Whedon sort of line. It's a great it's a great dialogue thing. It's it's harkening back to a uh, harkening back to something that had been a previous conversation. I always love it when you can bring moments like that back around. Then he turns around in the middle of hulking, or and just as he finishes hulking out, slams his fist down into what is a living battleship. This massive, massive creature. Uh, we see the that one punch killing this huge Leviathan. Uh, We see the camera doing that. Then the camera starts circling around and it captures all of the characters in their superhero poses. uh, And you realize, and, and suddenly just like, this is the moment. This is the moment right here that the Avengers have been created. I absolutely was like, yes, in the theater. Like, that so was I. I was on the it, it, edge of my seat. I,
0: I was too. I have to say that movie history this scene. This scene is ruined for me a little bit by the honest trailers uh, for it. And and if you haven't seen it, it's probably my favorite honest trailer. Um, uh, it's before John Daly took over. Wait, what's this?
1: Who, you're you're wait. You're you're saying your enjoyment of a film was slightly damaged by listening to a uh, by listening to somebody whose entire purpose was to. Uh, was to critique and point out every little flaw in a film the hell you say
0: now first of all i love the honest trailers i think they're hilarious and the new one for last jedi is if you haven't seen like like side note look up the honest trailer for last jedi because they get the original honest trailers guy voice to be in there talking about how awful the last jedi is and then john bailey the current honest trailer voice to talk about how amazing the last jedi is oh that's clever so so they, so, so they are they, like, like they're basically arguing with each other. It's the two voices for honest. It's pretty great. It's pretty wonderful. But in this case, that's pretty um, clever. What, one of the thing, uh, well, one of the things that the trailer says is, is, is a movie so amazing. You won't even, you won't even be bothered by it's completely unjustified plot twist. And then he goes, I'm always angry because that shot was awesome. <laughs> and <laughs> And the other thing it says about this and it's really funny is is it says a movie a movie so inc- a movie so incredible you will not even ask yourself how are they all even talking to each other if they're not wearing earpieces. <laughs> and there's a shot of <laughs> Captain America talking to Black Widow just putting that's his hand funny. up and going "Do it, do it now." <laughs> and that's once you see that you can't unsee it cuz no one is wearing earpieces, but they are all no, just that's, talking. No, that's a good
1: point. Each- that's funny.
0: Yeah. Um but uh, yeah, that shot's not the shot for me. The shot for me is Iron Man landing, blasting off of Cap Shield, and then jumping back up. Oh there's yeah, no reason he had to do that, but just for me, just, that's for you, Justin. Yeah, Here, I'm this.
1: pretty sure, and, and I'm pretty sure that's that's been done in the cut. Like that is a move that they do in the comics. Like that is an Avengers equivalent of the fastball special.
0: Well, it's worth noting that um, you know they could ha- just make it mindless violence, and there's a little bit of that, but Joss is all about basically the the, the the battle is the glue holding together moment after moment after moment after moment. So if he's just going to show the battle, he's going to do one of those impressive, it's all, sure, it's all done on a computer, but it's, it's all one shot thing. Mm-hmm. And then it's really just about You watch some stuff explode so that we can get to the next joke or we can get to the next moment or we can get to the next bit of peril or we can get to the next character thing um, or we can get to the next amazing moment. And you're the one who said, you know, one philosophy of fight choreography is 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 filler move, filler move, cool move, filler move, killer move, cool move. And and he makes sure that every moment, you know, every minute or so, you're getting one of those things, whether it's something like that or you get the great little thing, the great little uh, exchange. It's a lot like Budapest. You and I remember Budapest very differently, like it's very differently. Like, yeah, like that's like just having having the the violence be the intercessory moments between these awesome moments i think is uh that's that's a good point i think in a way it's he is using
1: as opposed to many many times uh it's essentially we've got character you know in many uh action films you've got character development character development dialogue character development okay we've got a fight scene so let's put all that on hold and pick it up again at the end of the fight this is character being you know This is character being further revealed through the combat scene, uh, which to me is always much more exciting. Uh, You don't, uh, just like, you know, the worst musicals are ones where the songs don't reveal anything more about the character than you already knew. Uh, You get pretty boring fights if it's just, let me show off all my action skills and my goal is just to beat the other person and that's, that's all we need to know uh when you have combat that reveals more about a character like you said you and I remember budapest very differently and here again the fact that you know cap cares so much about protecting people that is that's a crucial character thing that uh that gives the film heart uh and even within the
0: fight yeah. going okay we're going to give you you know what you wanted a shot of all them together here's the big 360 shot of all them together here's that like if you're not going to give me mm-hmm character development give me splash pages um because yeah. there's ways to do the and fight we got where, both. You know, i i love fight choreography i love martial arts fight choreography i could watch it all day with no like character development i just love it um but these are comic books and he's like okay you want to see the comic book up on the screen for the first time ever like in any movie do you want to really see what a comic book looks like on a screen here it is splash page after splash page after splash page and then and also the drama
1: and it's astonishing that, and again, talk about a risk that they took with Joss Whedon on this, because Joss Whedon, like, everybody, the industry knew, oh no, this guy can handle characters, this guy can handle dialogue real well, this guy can handle plot and story. What, no, but what was still, as of yet, untested was, what's the camera work of this guy like when it comes to, not television, but actual huge film where you need some great cinematography? Um, I was surprised... By just how good the the camera shots and the, the pictures that were set up were in this battle, uh, it was there was there was tremendous artistry behind it. Uh, as you say, it's you, that's a really good point. This was this was really bringing the comic book pages to life in a way that wasn't the obvious. Hey, look at this iconic comic book picture that we've suddenly just put up on the screen.
0: Yeah. No. Um, it's, it's, it is giving me everything I ever wanted from a comic book movie. So let's get to the end. Uh, Fury talks security, security council. They're going to blow up New York. Um, and, uh, and so Iron Man has to grab the missile and bring it up. They're all in a situation where no one could possibly win. They bring, they do that thing where they bring everybody to their lowest point right before the end. And then Tony, uh, Tony flies the missile up in, uh, in what is both the most satisfying and the least satisfying moment of the movie, the most satisfying because Tony's arc is realized. Um, everything mm-hmm. you said before about making the sacrifice play the most satisfying, and again, the um, fact
1: that, and just that the simple, humble tragedy of Pepper doesn't pick up the phone. Yeah, there's so many. Yeah. There's so many films or stories in which. Well, shoot, Captain America. Um, yeah the you know Steve Rogers has the conversation with Peggy as he's going down um the like the thought of again as a writer the thought of him calling his loved one and them not picking up that had never occurred to me but that's just even more heartbreaking
0: yeah no and and it, he, ulti- he he's making the ultimate sacrifice not just in death but in in an ignominious death like it's just not it's it's mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be sad and quiet yeah. by himself. And I love that Iron Man 3 is about the trauma that this causes. Um, oh, yeah, you're the right. Least the least satisfying thing. It, yeah, you're so right. Mm-hmm. The least satisfying thing is the Star Wars Episode one. you know, why these, these are clearly sentient creatures that are coming down. The yeah. Chitauri are clearly, you know, they get angry at things. They have tactics that they're trying to do they're all you know you see one rip off its mask and scream at you like it's it's so the fact that they all just drop with the destruction i agree of it
1: is lazy and convenient
0: um now i did this in ninjas versus zombies i'll be the first one to say that in ninjas versus zombies i had all the zombies drop uh when you killed the main bad guy um but at least but- you
1: established that as a rule like you'd actually had the character say, oh, so if we do this, then you know, you'd know you establish that as a goal.
0: Yeah. The, I uh, mean, in this it's,
1: one, it's, is it just, you know, Tony wasn't doing that for any Like it was just really, really dumb luck that that's the way that these guys worked.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and look, the first time I watched it, I did not notice or care. First time I watched it, I was Agreed. so pleased. Um, rewatching, it's, it's a frustrating thing. But still mildly frustrating they are so quick at the end of this to wrap it up they uh they Mm -hmm. go through and 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 give you kind of the 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 button on everything where everyone's going to be going what's happening what happens to loki it's pretty much a montage uh samuel jackson has some good lines um and uh and the movie comes to a close with the credit sequence except mid credits we get a reveal of of who uh, Alexis Denisoff was talking to and he turns around and it's Thanos. Now, at and the again, time... And again,
1: here is beautiful, beautiful writing uh, because, I mean, Thanos, If Thanos is essentially the big bad of the entire Marvel Universe in comics. Like, he is...
0: Uh, kind of, yeah.
1: He is... No, I mean, it's like he's not... But, like, at the end of the day, he's the boogeyman that everyone... Yes, there are sometimes when things are more powerful than him... But the, uh, well, essentially what he did in the, in the first Infinity Gauntlet series, like, Thanos is about as big uber villain as you can get. And one of the things about his character was that this is a person who is in love with death. And the personification of death, to, like an
0: actual female the, death.
1: Yeah, the actual, the avatar, yeah, the, the goddess death, or the personification. Um, the So to then... And I didn't even realize it at the time, it which was just so great about it, is that when, you know, when the other is saying to fight the humans is to court death, which is, you know, essentially a very negative statement saying this would be a really bad idea. And then suddenly the turnaround and it's Thanos and the grin. Not only is it the excitement of, oh my God, that's Thanos, but like the Of course, to him, that is the best positive possible is courting death. Like it was just. It was a nice, lovely little uh, lovely little tie-in to the comic.
0: And yet, you could feel the shrug in the theater at this point. Like, you could feel... Because you, nobody you heard, knew Thanos. You heard, like, 15% of the theater that? going, <gasps> And 85% of the theater who's used to, you know, Nick Fury shows up, there's a connection to, you know, you know what it means. Up to this point, the post credit scenes, you've known what they mean. This... So I 85%. I would disagree, because when, when
1: Iron Man came out, I mean, it's like, yeah, I guess people knew, like, we went, but, oh, when Nick Fury first showed up and talked about the Avengers. But I guess, but for a lot of other people walking, watching, they would be like, oh, yeah, the Avengers, that's a thing. Um, well, yeah, but, like, but you get, to me, the,
0: the two things you get is you get Samuel L. Jackson and the term Avengers. At this point, you get a purple face. And if you don't know Thanos, yeah. and it's very easy to not know Thanos you someone next to you has to explain to you what just happened
1: which is why it's an end credit scene i and this is my this is my own feeling on it it's just like once those credits start to roll the movie is over anything after that is easter eggs or gravy um and and i like i mean yes it's become kind of done to death but i like the post credit scene because the post credit scene is where when it comes to comic book films, there's that sense of, okay, we had to make this whole film where we had to include everybody. Not just the people who know everything about the universe, but the people who nothing who know nothing about the universe. This little thing, this little thing two minutes into the credits, this is for you, to the fans. Um, it is okay. For me, with an end credit scene, it's alright if there's people who are left out. Because if they enjoyed the film, that will actually... Uh, inspire them to go learn oh who was that person uh, but even if they don't the movie is done it's it's I, I kind of like, even when I don't get an end credit sequence I like the fact that they're there because it means that they it's an acknowledgement of the of the true believers of the of the real diehard fans
0: and then after that we get what was my favorite post credit scene until maybe spider-man homecoming which is uh, which is them eating shawarma. I'd never had shawarma at this mm-hmm. point in my life. I've now had shawarma because of this. I think this created a shawarma movement. Um, I I would not be surprised. I, I've had shawarma many more times since this, but at the time, I had never had it or heard heard of it. And now I I first time I ever had it was on a on a food cart in New York. Um, uh, I uh, I dig just the humor, the quiet. And way too long, scene of them them mm-hmm. eating eating it. Where it's one of those things where it's funny at first, and then it stops being funny, and then it goes all the way back around to being funny. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant.
1: And so it makes me wonder too. It it makes me wonder, at what point they decided to do that scene? Was it like? I I would love the the concept of what if there were like a shawarma restaurant uh like across the street from a place where they were filming and then somebody was just like oh my god guys you we we totally need to do this and then i think it was the last
0: thing shot i actually from what i understand and i could be totally wrong i'm talking out of my butt here but but the my my vague memory is that he got them all together all back into costume all back into makeup built the entire set because he needed this to be in the film he felt that and I'm just <laughs> That's amazing. I, I'm just as down with that as well being awesome. That, I, I, that would, I would be as well. Um so now we're at the end of the Avengers, and we get to the question that we always ask where do you rate this movie um out of five? Today we're gonna say uh we're gonna say out of five random Thanos heads, uh, how many random Thanos heads do you give the Avengers, sir? Uh
1: on its own a solid four because of what it did for the genre, because of how it cemented the existence of the Marvel cinematic universe. And it, uh, it cemented, uh, you know, Joss Whedon as a, you know, as an A-list director, uh, I would give it 4.5.
0: I'm going to give this a full on five. It's a full. Uh,
1: You've been, you've been saying since the beginning of this podcast, that this was going to be the one that you gave the five to. So that makes total sense to me.
0: Challenge you. To find me a comic book movie that is more satisfying in giving you everything a comic book movie should give you than this film. Um there are better films. I would say I've mentioned a few times here, Spider-Man Homecoming, probably a better film. Winter Soldier, probably a better film. Iron Man, maybe a better film. But this is like you know when you go to a potluck and occasionally you put some stuff on your plate, and it's all right, but it's not, you know, it's not that good. But there's all like most of the stuff you get on your plate is is pretty good. Everyone did their best, you know, to bring their thing to the plot to the potluck. Um, whereas Winter Soldier is like going out to a really nice restaurant and you get what they have on the menu. This literally gave me everything that I wanted in a superhero film. There's <laughs> nothing that let me rephrase. There's nothing that this film did not give me that I wanted in a, in a mm-hmm. superhero film. It gave me maybe a couple of things that I didn't need. Um, give me a couple of things that maybe, you know, maybe it was 10 minutes too long. Maybe there was a lull in the action. Maybe, the, but literally I started this film having never had a bunch of the things that I always wanted in a comic book movie. And then I walked mm-hmm. out of this film getting those things. Um, there will never be another experience like the watching the Avengers for the first time. There will, the Avengers has done it. It's been done. You finally got everything that you wanted. You can either, you can improve on it. You can change it. You can counter program it. But this is, you know, they finally were able to do it and you can never get that back. Um, This is this. This was a uh, this was a
1: historical moment.
0: Yeah. um, So if there's going to be a five, if a five is going to exist, um, this absolutely has to have it. Um, If if this can't get a five, I don't know what could. Um, so, so if we're grading on any kind of curve, this is going to be on the five end of the curve. Yeah, this is, this is Mm -hmm. spectacular. It's in in every sense of that word. It is spectacular. One
1: thing, uh, just to tail end it all, uh, because, you know, I mentioned this in previous podcasts. It's the question I always love about, uh, superhero films is, you know, that what does it mean to be a superhero? What does it mean to be a hero? This film, Asks and answers the question a little bit less than others do, and I think that's because it's a movie about a team of superheroes. Um, I imagine when we review X Men, I'm not going to be asking that question as much either. Uh, maybe this movie asked the question, "What does it mean to be a super team?" Uh, I mean, and to a certain extent, there was the whole Tony's arc was probably the closest we got with, it's about, you know, being a hero is about not being able to outsmart everything. Sometimes at the end of the day, it's just about making the hard call and the personal sacrifice. Uh, do you think, uh, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Um, no, I don't think that this asks that, that question very much at all. I think, you know, we will get to another five, eventually we'll get to, to you know, spoilers, we'll get to The Dark Knight, um, which asks that question throughout the whole film which gives you in a big that, way. Yeah. That gives you that that question. Um I think there's room for both of them. I think there's room for both a good book and an amazing roller coaster.
1: You know, I think that this is Yeah, oh, I don't think this Yeah, I don't think it's a negative of the film
0: at all. I just well, it's interesting I mean, but, to me because But I see the, you could say like that's one of the things one of your primary values of going going to films, going to things like this. And I would say there is room for both, you know, there is room for both uh 2001 the book and space mountain they're both about exploring mm-hmm. space but they both deliver yeah. very different things um this is space mountain this is just like you know you eat your popcorn sit back and and mm-hmm. get everything 8 year old you ever wanted um yeah with, and, 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 with and, a and little bit back more to, heart
1: than you were even with a little bit more heart than you were even expecting But, yeah, none of us were going into this film thinking that we were going to be walking out, you know, with deep questions about the nature of existence or about our choices in life.
0: Which is amazing because the the follow-up to this film, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, um, dovetails Actually was. Yeah, Yeah. it does something I would never have expected Captain America's next film and and Iron Man's next film, frankly, uh, to be... Mm -hmm very much about what is the human experience of having been an Avenger. Yeah. What is, Oh, I love that then? so much. Um, you know, that's the, what is the, what is the fallout? What, you know, how, how sick are you when you get off the roller coaster? Cause you didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. How much does your neck hurt the next day? You didn't think about that before you went on. Hmm. Good image. Um, you know, the, you know, this is, you know, this is the party. The hangover is coming and it's just as interesting. Um, so yeah. not Maybe not just as, but very interesting. Anyway, that is the Avengers, ladies and gentlemen. Next week, uh, we are going to be doing, uh, and this has been a super long episode. I can't imagine that we're going to spend as long because we don't have to do all the background uh, next week. But next week is Avengers Age of Ultron. The question we're going to ask, is it unfairly derided? People go Avengers Age of Ultron. They go, oh, I didn't like that one. I didn't like that one. Is that fair? Is it as good? Is it better? Is it just that it's not as good? And so by comparison, is it like we're I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing because I haven't seen that one in a while. And the last time I mm-hmm. watched it, um, which was about a year ago, I remember thinking uh, I remember thinking, gosh, this is way better than I remember. Um, so I'm interested I, now watching it with with a totally. Super I have a eye. feeling we're
1: gonna make, we're gonna agree on a lot of things. My general feeling was I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed watching it a lot, and we'll. I will happily detail all the reasons why
0: yeah uh, i look I look forward to watching but it next time as uh, yeah um as as a, as a, like with with the eyes of of totally super like i'm I'm interested in it, gosh, this is fun guys with the uh, with the I,
1: I I'm going to watch it with the eyes of totally super that's yes, that the eyes so of totally Mystic. super
0: which is going to be on our merch page, um which is just we randomly yes. steal people's eyes like loki mm-hmm. yes and we we will, we will actually
1: new. have uh, we we will have eyes for sale. And they will be not just super, but totally super.
0: I can't. That's, I guess that's our closing. Yeah, nothing else to say. I'm not even going to say my yeah. <laughs> name is Justin. I just, just, I, so, and my name
1: is Arthur. Stay, and uh, stay tuned it, for the
0: gruesome eyes of totally. Super.
1: Stay tuned for the gruesome eyes. But in the meantime, hey there, true believers.
0: This is never going to work if they don't stay. All right, stay super. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to GeeksRadio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not safe for work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Endlight Entertainment.